Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Aren't you glad he said he is not here, but he is risen. Amen. Praise God. I'm grateful for the resurrection of Jesus. How about you? Amen. You can do better than that. Amen. I'm excited about the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to start off with a little story here. Um, One of my favorite um, ministers, he's uh, since went on to be with the Lord, is uh, Derek Prince. If you haven't had an opportunity to read read his books, uh, they're a tremendous blessing. And, of course, he was known in the deliverance field for many years, but, of course, he wrote a lot of books about all aspects and topics of the Bible. And uh, he was a Greek scholar. He could uh, uh, speak classical Greek, so he was someone that uh, was highly educated and in the original language of the New Testament. And I always value people like that, Rick Renner, people like that. They can speak uh, and read and interpret the original language. But uh, during World War II, he had contracted a um, skin disease, and it was very painful and uh, for most of the war, he was uh, stationed in uh, military hospitals all throughout northern Africa. And so, you know, from uh, uh, Tripoli and, and various places, he would be in these hospitals during World War II. And um, God spoke to a uh, older woman who was a captain in the Salvation Army who was stationed in Egypt and uh, said, you need to go pray for this, uh, this young man. He was a young man at the time. And he said, uh, uh, so she got in her car and got a little young lady from Oklahoma, missionary from Oklahoma, and then also a driver. And they drove this little putt-putt car, you know, how the European-style cars, you know, and drove all the way to where he was at, at the hospital. And uh, she came in. Now, she wasn't originally a captain of the Salvation Army. Her husband was, and he passed away, so the title came to her. But she was a proponent of the things of God and the things of the Spirit of God, and she believed in praying in other tongues. So she got into the hospital and drug him out, put him in the car in the, in the parking lot, and they just began to pray in the Spirit. They began to pray in other tongues. And after a while of praying in the Spirit together... All of a sudden, the little missionary from Oklahoma just started to begin to shake and quake as the power of God came into that car. And then the captain began to shake and quake. And then the driver began to shake and quake. And Derek Prince says, well, they were all doing it, so I started doing it. You know, they started shaking and quaking. And the whole car started shaking and quaking. And a tongue came forth, a diver's kind of tongue came forth from the captain of, of us, from the Salvation Army. And uh, the interpretation came through the little missionary from Oklahoma. And I want us to listen to what this uh, interpretation was, because it's key to understanding what we're going to talk about here today. Here's a man suffering from a disease. He's suffering from an affliction that he just can't seem to shake. The doctors are perplexed at it, don't know how to cure it. And he is at an absolute loss. He recently got born again. He is seeking the face of God the best that he knows how. God knows where you're at. 
He'll send somebody to where you're at, regardless if they're in Egypt and you're in Tripoli or wherever you may be, God will send somebody to give you the truth. Amen. And so, um, this tongue came forth and the interpretation came forth and it said, consider the cross, a perfect work, perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. And that was it. That was the, that was tongue. Now, most of us would want a word like you're going to be healed of this skin disease and you're going to get a good report from the doctor and blah, 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 blah. We always like that, you know, always like very specific words. But God gave him something more than that. He gave him the remedy, not just for the situation that he was in, but for any situation he would ever be in, consider the cross. And so very often it's our revelation of the depth and the magnitude of the cross that limits the life of God and the effects of the cross manifesting in our life. So our goal here today is to proclaim the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that it compels you through revelation knowledge to break out of your chains, break out of your limitations, break out of your condemnation, break out of your guilt, break out of your shame, break out of your addiction. Because when you see the cross clearly, as the New Testament teaches it, then you will be able to appropriate the power inherent in that sacrifice and be able to walk in victory. Amen? The cross is about victory, my friends. It's about absolute victory over sin, over sickness, over poverty, over the things that keep us bound. Jesus died on our behalf so that we could be free. Amen? We are the Lord's free man and free women. Amen? Oh, come on now. You're going to have to catch up with the 9 o'clock. They were more lively. Amen? You've had more sleep. Amen? Okay, so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 2. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, for I decided or I determined, one translation says, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I've determined to know absolutely nothing. I don't care about what's on ESPN. I don't care about, come on now, what's going on around and, and the gossip and the, and the rumor mill and all that stuff. I've determined because he talked about stress and strife in the church in the preceding verses. He said, I've determined not to know anything, to disconnect from that. And I've determined to know one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now he could have put the period after Jesus Christ and we would have understood what he meant. I have determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ. That'd be a good thing to know Jesus Christ. Amen. And to focus on our knowledge and grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. But he adds and him crucified. So he shows us that there's something in the crucifixion that reveals certain things that bring about liberation and bring about the freedom we desire. 
So an under full understanding of the cross is integral for us to walk in the victory that Jesus purchased. If we don't fully understand what happened on that horrific day in which the very Son of God was hoisted up and lifted up on our behalf, it's not just about a man dying. There's more to it than that. And we've got to get a revelation of what that is. Otherwise, the devil will continue to tell you, yeah, well, Jesus died, but you got to do this and you got to do that. And you've got to jump through this hoop and you've got to make this happen. And if you don't do this, then it's not applicable to your life. I'm here to tell you, friends, nothing obscures your view of the cross more than legalism. I'm here to tell you about a perfect work. I'm here to tell you about a work that doesn't need to be added to. I'm here to tell you about what Jesus did. We no longer connect with God or commune with God based upon his perfect law. We connect with God based upon his perfect son. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice given from the foundation of the world. God made a decision about your redemption and your salvation before you were even born. And he loves you. And he put everything on the line. So it's important for us to understand there are concepts within the crucifixion that if we don't get a hold of, the devil will exploit in our lives. And one of the great deceptions is that he begins to deceive you in regards to the love of God. He want, does not want you understanding the depths of God's love. Well, you know, I can only understand the depths of God's love based upon the crucifixion. If I really understand the crucifixion, I'll understand the depths of God's love for me. That God himself would take my place. Think about that. He didn't have to. He didn't have. Who does that? Who does that? Amen. Our God does. Amen. So let's turn over to, um, well, let's see here. Let's turn over to Philippians. I, I'm <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. Did you bring your Bibles today? Amen. We like Bible paper. I like hearing Bible paper. Amen. Hallelujah. Something a phone can't do for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse number eight. Speaking of Jesus, it says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And again, the Apostle Paul could put the period right there and we'd understand it. But he extends it. And he says, even the death on the cross. So obviously, there's something important about the crucifixion. It's not just about a man dying. There are aspects in the crucifixion that we need to get a hold of today. Amen? Because crucifixion wasn't just like any other death. It wasn't like any other death at all. It was a death that was extended and long it was, it was torturous. It, was, uh, it symbolized, basically, the, the death of man spiritually over a prolonged period of time. It happened within a space of 
9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So it, it, it spanned that space of time. But it characterizes the space of time of humanity and what was taken from him when God departed from mankind. Amen? And so it's important to understand what Jesus lost during that time. He lost because he became sin, who knew no sin. He, he became the curse. He became the cursed one. God laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Amen? So he became our sin. He didn't just take our sin. He became our sin. He became you. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. You were the one hanging upon the cross. That was your punishment. That was your consequences. He took it upon himself. And so what was happening is that Jesus was taking on, you see, the, the, uh, the depravity of man, the iniquity of man, and he was progressively tortured throughout that entire sequence, even into the latter part of the day before he was being tormented as man is tormented when he is without God. Because the minute he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to pray and cry out to God and feel the extreme pressure of becoming sin, it said he sweat as if great drops of blood. The pressure of the situation of becoming your sin and my sin, of becoming the world's totality of depravity, it began to weigh on him. And he wasn't afraid of the cat of nine tails. He wasn't afraid of the Roman whip. He wasn't afraid of the Sanhedrin. Guard. He wasn't afraid of the high priest. He wasn't afraid of Pilate. He was not afraid of Herod. He was not afraid of any man. But what he feared was what we must fear. We must stop fearing man and begin to fear God. He feared God. He feared the wrath of God. Because when Jesus became sin, it was not the devil that necessarily took hold of his life. It was God himself pouring out his wrath upon his son, paying the price for your sin and for mine. Amen? Jesus over and over would say words like this. He says, do not fear man who can kill the body, but fear him who can take both body and spirit and cast it into hell. He said, there is someone greater than the authorities of this world. There's someone greater. Come on now. And we need to fear him. And when you learn to properly fear the Lord, you will learn not to fear man. And Jesus wasn't afraid of that stuff. It wasn't, that was not what he was recoiling from. It was recoiling from the fact that he would be separated from God for the first time in his existence as a man. And that he would be the symbol that God would place his wrath upon. Amen? I'm telling you, we serve a good God. We serve a good God. Amen? And so he said, not my will, but your will be done. Amen? Because he could have called 10,000 legions of angels. Amen? And before he became sin, God would rescue him. But when he became sin, God turned his back upon him so that he could turn his face towards you. Amen? God is so good. Even the death 
of, of the cross. We got to understand that when Jesus was hoisted upon the cross, his hands and feet were fastened to this cross with five-inch nails. And so they would fasten a, a person right in between his wrists where the two bones separate so that it would keep him stationary there. And they would put him up, you know, upon the cross beam. And then they would hoist him up on the vertical beam and drop him and drop him down to where the joints in his shoulders would pop out. So his whole body was discombobulated. It was in extreme pain and extreme suffering. The way a person dies on the cross is through asphyxiation. Now Jesus received beating after beating. The minute he was taken captive, he was beat by the Sanhedrin guards. He went to Pilate's palace and was beaten there. He was taken to Herod and Herod's guard beat him as well. And then he went back to Pilate and they beat him even more. So his body was badly bruised on every part of his skin. His epidermis was throbbing from the pain of the beatings. He had a crown of thorns that was thrust on his head, just, just put on his head and just burrowed into the brow of the Son of God. And his blood began to mat his eyes and cause his, his face began to swell. Once you get beatings like that, your whole body begins to swell. You begin to change colors. And this is what Jesus did. It showed the marring of sin upon humankind. You might look good today. You know, you might be dressed up today. You might have looked in the mirror and said, I look fine. But if you're without the Lord today, what Jesus looked like on the cross is what you look like on the inside. Hello. Sin mars the body. It causes us to not be human. Did you know that? When you're joined with Satan, you're not really human as God created you to be human. It's only through the new creation that we can begin to experience true humanity, true humanness. Amen? And so it's important that we understand that. So when Jesus hung upon that, his feet were fastened with five-inch nail. And in order, you know, Jesus was beaten beyond, you know, recognition. But yet what killed Jesus was heart failure. Heart failure killed Jesus. And it symbolizes a man without God whose heart is alienated from the life of God. His life is taken from him because his source of blood flow is compromised. Jesus died of, of asphyxiation. What does that represent? Well, if you go to the second chapter of the book of Genesis, you know that when Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground, that God, Yahweh, which is Jesus, before he became a man, breathed the breath of life into him. What escaped Jesus on the cross was the very breath that gave him life, showing the spiritual depravity and the spiritual 
uh, iniquity that we had when, when, when Adam transgressed against God. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He lost everything. Because in order to breathe on the cross, you would have to use your feet. But you've got your feet stamped with five-inch nails. If you have any kind of injury to your toe or to your foot in any way, putting pressure on your feet is the last thing you want to do. It impairs you greatly. It's excruciating. But to have to use that to breathe, think of that. So what they would do was they would lift up with their legs to take in the deep breath and be able to exhale. And then they would take it in, and eventually the body would break down to the point where they could not do that anymore, and their lungs and their heart sack fills with water, and they begin to drown and suffocate. And that's the reason why the centurion, uh, as he went around the, the two others, that were crucified with him. It says they broke their legs. The reason why they broke their legs is so they couldn't breathe because the legs wouldn't work. They couldn't get the breaths, so it would expedite their death. Jesus was already gone. So he took a sword or a, uh, um, a spear, and he pierced right underneath, you see, the ribs and he opened up that sac that is around the heart, the sacrium, and water and blood came out, showing that he was killed by the failure of the heart. Oh, I'm so glad that he came to give me a new heart. How about you? Amen? He came to give us a new heart by sacrificing his. Amen? Hallelujah. So the death of a cross, even the death of a cross, it's very different from other types of martyrdom. It's very different. There's a lot of symbolism in the death of the cross. Amen? So let's look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Well, let's look at chapter 2, verse 20. Why is the crucifixion important? Why should I understand the crucifixion? Well, G, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, I was crucified with Christ. Why is the crucifixion important? Because I was there. Now, I wasn't there physically, but I was there united with him in his death. Amen? I was crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, it's I that lives but not I, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, that means after reconciling my life to the cross, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? He goes on and says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now listen to that. Because the main veil that covers the truth of the cross is us trying to attain 
our own righteousness. Amen? And we do it through all kinds of different ways. We do it through law-keeping, trying to live a perfect life, trying to get God to look at us, trying to get God to bless us based upon our works. I'm here to tell you, friends, if you find yourself in that place, then what the cross truly means is muted in your life. You're not going to see it for what it truly is because you think you have to add to something that is already perfected, already completed, and a Savior that's already seated and is no longer actively bringing about redemption. What it tells me is this, is that Jesus has done everything he's going to ever do about the situation in your life. And that gives you, should give you great joy and great um, comfort to know that this is already completed. This is already perfected. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to mix with water. You don't have to put this and that and a dash of this and a little bit of this. You just simply need to receive what Jesus has already done on the cross. Amen? So when we begin to try to put our own righteousness... We try to keep the law. The law wasn't meant to keep. The law was meant to prescribe and to show us our condition, to show us that I don't have it within me without Christ to even be able to keep the law. It causes me to reach out and say, I need a Savior. I need someone to help me with this. I can't keep these rules. There's something on the inside of me. There's a nature that's keeping me from fulfilling this. I don't have the ability to answer this great debt that has been placed upon my life. And that's why Jesus came and he died and he took our place is so that you and I could walk in freedom and not under bondage. Amen? But notice he goes on because chapter and verse is just added by the translators. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. So this region of people, these churches that he's talking to, they've fallen for something. They've fallen for legalism. They're trying to attain their own righteousness by their works. Well, you got to dress this way, and you got to have this kind of hairstyle, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you know, you never miss this, and you never, and we try to correspond with God that way. And so we think that God blesses us on the basis of our works. And that's the reason why, you know, you feel like you can pray to God and ask him for something when you've been to church two weeks out of the month. But when you've missed, you have a problem with it. Condemnation comes to you. And you say, you know what, I really haven't been to church. I might, I might need to not ask the Lord for that. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's not based upon that. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to not come to church. That's not what I'm saying. 
Please do not go away and say, Pastor said we don't have to come to church anymore. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if your church attendance is based upon you trying to get favor from God, then you're coming for the wrong reasons. I come because of what he's already done for me, not because of what I'm trying to get. Because he's already given me what most people are trying to get. So I'm just operating from that behavior. That's the reason why church is fun for me. That's the reason why serving God is fun for me. There's some people not having fun doing it. They look like they were baptized in lemon juice. Come on now. Hello. It's not any fun. Well, it's not fun if it's that I have to do this in order for God to like me. Amen? But I don't do that based upon that. I don't do that based upon. I do it based upon one thing and one thing only. Jesus has given me salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, and I want to know more about it. I want to walk in greater light in regards to that, and that's why I come to church. I come to give thanks and to corporately come together so that you can witness the fact that God is at work in my life. Amen? So these Galatians, they have been deceived because he says, who bewitched you? Who deceived you? Who cast a spell on you? Okay. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now notice the Galatian churches that he's talking to did not see the physical crucifixion of Jesus. They were not there. How did they see it? They saw it through the preaching of the gospel. They saw it through the preaching of the gospel. And so when the gospel is proclaimed, and it is proclaimed with conviction and the Holy Spirit conviction, it is as if you were on Golgotha's hill. It's as if if you see clearly the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants you to see it. In fact, when Jesus partook of the Last Supper, as we know it, notice he did not say that it celebrates his resurrection. It celebrates his death. See, his death is vital and important for you to understand because it, got, it gave God the legal basis to inhabit humanity, to legally purchase humanity from sin and death. He legally took us back and redeemed us in the highest court of all the universe. He dealt a blow to the kingdom of darkness and redeemed you and I. Amen? That's some good stuff right there. So notice that their eyes were obscured. They were obscured from the cross. And there's nothing worse than legalism to keep your eyes obscured. But there's also test and trial. There's also pressure of life. There's also tradition, religious tradition. And they all can obscure the work of Christ on the cross. So what that tells me and what Derek Prince learned was that the more I know about the cross, the more its power is active in my life. Amen? 
It's the truth anyhow, whether you want to believe it or not. So because the cross defines certain things, it, it, it defines certain things in our redemptive path. It defines first the severity of sin. I can look to the cross and I can see the severity of sin. His body marred, his body beaten, his body uh, grotesquely violated is a type of sin. It shows me the depravity of sin in my life. And although I cannot physically see the spiritual ramifications of sin, I can look to the cross and I can see his body deformed by the hands of men. And I can see my spiritual condition before Jesus. Now, praise God, I'm not like that anymore because I've received the gospel. Amen? Then the consequences and effects of sin. Jesus took upon him the wrath of God. We need to be more fearful of the Lord than we are of people and what people think. What the hive mind believes. What the group think has put on the platter. We need to stop being worried about our TikTok followers and our influencers, our social influencers. And we need to declare the truth of the gospel in the midst of a darkened world. We need to stop worrying about what our peer group believes. We need to stop concerning ourselves with what our bosses and what our places of employment believe. We need to stop wondering if God's going to take care of us if we lose our job. Hello. Because there is consequences and effects of sin. And we need to fear God. When I look at the cross, I see that I need to fear the Lord. Behold the goodness and severity of the Lord. I see it both in the cross. Are you with me today? But yet on the cross, I can see the depths of God's love for me. When I look at the cross, I can see the depths that he would go to redeem my life and to love me and to bring me out of what I'm in. He lifted me up out of that pit and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. Amen. Hallelujah. He loves me. He loves me so much. People wrestle with the love of God. They wrestle with it. Does God love me? They begin to feel sorry for themselves. I've been there. I've sat in my bed and wondered, where's God and where's his love and does he really love me? And all I have to do is reset my life to the cross. When I look at the cross, I know God loves me. That is his love letter to me. It's better than flowers. It's better than a gift. It's better than a poem. It's better than a song. It's better than a getaway. It's the fact that God was willing to come into my life, meet me where I'm at, take my sin and depravity, take my sickness and poverty. Because he didn't have it. He didn't have it. The punishment wasn't his. The curse was not his. He was not an inheritor of it. He stepped in to our place. Amen? Glory to God. It also speaks to me about the price of redemption. 
Did you know that your redemption price, people wrestle with value. They wrestle with their own personal value. They said, am I worth it? Does anybody care about me? Am I valuable to anybody? See, people want this. They desire this. (coughs) There's a whole generation of people on antidepressants because they don't understand their value. When you understand that your value is the highest currency that could ever be paid for anyone, which is not just the blood of man, but the blood of God. The virgin birth caused Jesus to not have the sin nature nor the nature of the flesh. His blood was absolutely pure. It was just as Adam's blood was when he was first created. It was filled with the life of Almighty God. And that is the blood that that drained from his brow, that began to flow from his hands and feet, the blood of God. Because the blood type always comes from the Father. Let's let that sink in. That's why Peter said we weren't redeemed with silver and gold. Those are corruptible. He says, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. In Numbers 21, verse number 8, I think they might have it there. It's a story about uh, the people of God complaining and murmuring. Seems to be a very frequent story. You know, how many have been guilty of complaining and murmuring? Well, they were collectively complaining and murmuring. They were murmuring against Moses. They were murmuring against the provision of God. They didn't want to eat the manna anymore. And serpents came out. And they began to bite the people. And the serpent's poison would get into their bloodstream. And many of them were screaming. Many of them died because of these serpents. And so Moses gets on his face before God and repents. That's a good thing to do. Amen. Amen. And he cries out for a solution. Notice this. God didn't just wave his hand and make anything go away. Just like with Derek Prince. He didn't just raise his hand and say, okay, you're totally healed. You're totally restored. No, he gave him the prescription. He gave him the answer, but it required application. Listen to that. It required application. What did Derek Prince do after he received that word? He got in the scriptures and began to absorb the cross. And as he began to do that, his body healed, and he never had any problem with it ever again. But see, because he considered the cross a perfect work, a perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect, it not only helped him with his physical condition, it helped him with mental torment. It helped him with overcoming in life. It helped him with relational problems, marriage problems, things like that. Because the cross is the great reset of the church. I'm telling you, when we lift Jesus up, all men will be drawn to him. 
But he said, take a serpent, make a bronze serpent, the very thing that's killing the people, that's harming the people, put it on a pole. And he says, and put it up before the people, and those that will look upon it shall live. Okay? Now notice this. The chaos that's around them, kids crying, grandpa dying, all of this chaos, but they're asked to do a simple thing that can be very difficult to do in the midst of those circumstances. They are to gaze. Now, they're not supposed to glance. They're to gaze. Gaze means to fix yourself, to fix your sight on something to where you are absorbing and you are taking it in. And those that did that were supernaturally healed. The poison of the serpent no longer flowed through their veins. So if that's the case with the type that Moses used, because Jesus said, just as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If we will fix our gaze on the cross, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our turmoil, in the midst of the chaos, the adversity and the serpent's poison will not penetrate our lives. I'm here to tell you if we will focus on the cross, we will see victory. Victory, victory, victory. Amen? Now let me read from Rick Renner's book, Paid in Full. Listen to this. No death was more scandalous than death on a cross. Such a death was dreadful and hideous, designed to discredit and tarnish the memory of the one dying. Blood drenched Jesus' torso, pouring from his head and brow, running like rivers from the deeply torn flesh in his hands and feet. The effect of the scourging that Jesus had received in Pilate's palace began to take its toll as his body swelled and became horribly discolored. His eyes were matted with the blood that poured from the wounds in his brow, wounds caused by the crown of thorns that bore down into his skull as the soldiers pushed it hard upon his head. The whole scene was ugly, unsightly, repulsive, sickening, vile, foul, and revolting. In the Jewish world, nakedness was a particularly profound shame because the Jews believed that man was created in the image of God and to be naked was dishonoring. And that's the reason why Hitler would have them strip is because it was satanic, it was demonic because he wanted to mar the image of God. And for a Jew, it was absolutely um, anathema to be naked in public, naked. Nakedness was a profound shame for them. So if Jesus' suffering had not already been enough, he experienced the ultimate act of degradation and shame as he hung on the cross, naked and exposed before all those who watched the unfolding drama. Let's turn in our Bibles real quickly to John the 19th chapter and I'll wrap this up. John 19 and verse number 30. I've got good news for you here today. 
Jesus hung in shame so that you could hang in righteousness. Jesus hung in guilt so that you could be freed. Jesus took your place. Hallelujah. It says in verse 30, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The word, um, it is finished, is three words in the English, but it is only one word in the Greek language. It is the word tetelestai, tetelestai, tetelestai. And Jesus, when he uttered that from the cross, he yelled it. He said, tetelestai. And everyone knew what that meant. Everyone knew. It meant complete. It meant finished. It meant totally done, fulfilled. Nothing added, nothing taken away. It is finished. To be totally finished with what God set out to do. Amen? Tetelestai is a Greek word that has four aspects to it in Greek culture. And they all apply to what happened in Jesus' life because it's a loaded word. You know, as we cheer in Braveheart when he's tortured and he yells out the word freedom, this is a lot like that. Jesus declaring tetelestai means our freedom our absolute and utter freedom. So the first aspect of this word, tetelestai, is when a servant in this period of time would go on behalf of his master to do a task far away and complete the task. And after they would complete the task over the period of time, they would come back to their master and they would say one word, tetelestai. And what that meant was, it's complete. It's fulfilled. The work that you gave me is done. Amen? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That means that he is not actively doing anything in regards to the mission of redeeming your life. It has already been done. He came to the Father's throne and he said, Tetelestai. Not just on earth, but in heaven. I've accomplished the work whereto you have sent me. He said that in John's Gospel, the 17th chapter, and I believe the fourth verse. He said, Restore unto me the glory that I had beforehand, for I have completed the work that you sent me to do. Tetelestai. Secondly, the word tetelestai means something that the high priest would say when he would offer the blood upon the mercy seat during the day of atonement. When he would offer that blood and put it upon that mercy seat and he did it concisely and he did it exactly the way God wanted it and he knew that it was accepted by God, he would say, Tetelestai. 
I'm here to tell you that we not only have Jesus, the Lamb of God, but we got Jesus, the high priest, who once and for all went into the Holy of Holies himself and offered his very own blood. And he declares to you today, Tetelestai. It is finished. What that meant in the old covenant was meant that the sins of Israel were covered for a year. But the blood of Jesus doesn't just cover sin. The blood of Jesus eradicates sin and takes sin out of the way. And he gave his own life. They didn't take it from him. There was not one time that he was afraid of any of them because he knew that it was only the Father that could give them the ability to be able to take him. He walked through crowds of people in his earthly ministry that wanted to throw him off a hill and they couldn't touch him. Why? Because his time had not come. But when his time came and it was up to him to offer himself up to God as a sacrifice, he did it willingly. He did it because he loves you. He did it for the joy that was set before him. He did it because he saw you right here, right now on this day and said, I must make provision for their life. And he is no longer hanging upon that tree. He is the high priest of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right now interceding on your behalf. Tetelestai. The next usage of the word tetelestai is a business term. And it meant that you, if you were in debt up to your eyeballs, if someone came, some rich benefactor decided to give you mercy on your debt, or gave you the money to pay your debt. You would take your debt, which was written on a piece of papyrus, and they would come to the uh, person that they were indebted to. They would pay the payment or the payment would be eradicated. And they would take a stamp made of wax and they would put a seal on it. And it would say, Tetelestai, which means paid in full. There's no debt that you have that is not paid in full in Christ Jesus. Amen? Quit striving and trying to get God to care about you and see you and realize that he already did. 2,000 years ago, he saw you on Golgotha's hill. He saw you in his son. Receive it now to Telestai. The last usage of the word, tetelestai, means the end of something, but the beginning of something new. Praise God. It isn't just the end of something. It's the beginning of something brand new in your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, everything has become brand new to Telestai to Telestai to Telestai oh I'm here to tell you Jesus is here he uttered those words 2,000 years ago and he's uttering those words right now in the hearts of all those who are hearing this message Jesus Christ has been crucified among you today. You have seen his crucifixion. You have imagined his crucifixion. 
words have painted pictures and imagery that get you the full import of what happened on Golgotha's hill. The death of Jesus bought us back legally. His resurrection enabled new creation life and a new species of being to be born into the earth. It's not just that Jesus died after making his will and testament to enact it, but he also was raised so that he could execute it in your life. Will you let him do that? Will you let him become real in you? Will you stop living for God and start allowing God to live through you? Will you let his resurrection life take a hold of you? Stop living by rules and regulations and let the spirit of life in Christ Jesus overtake you and cause you to walk in his ways? Will you stop going after letters that are written on stone and allow the letters to be written in your heart? That's the question today. We have people that are here to help you if you need to be born again, if you need rededication, if you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're here. We've even got the baptismal waters warm. And it's warm this time. Matthew did not put a bag of ice in it like last time. I know what he did. He put a big old bag of ice in there. He wanted them to really feel the shock of death when they went under. Amen. But it's warm. And I can't think of a better day if you want to make a profession of faith through water baptism. It's available. Amen. And we'll get wet with you. Amen. Don't walk away without what Jesus purchased for you. Amen. So they're going to be up here and we're going to close the service out and they're going to be up here to pray with you and to let you and to be at your service to let you experience what Jesus has done. The Word of God is here right now. The Spirit of the Lord is here right now. He's ready to confirm His Word with signs and wonders following. One of the greatest wonders, one of the greatest signs is a new creation, is receiving Christ and becoming born again. Amen? Getting rid of the nature of the devil out of your life and becoming born of God. Amen? Happy Resurrection Day. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesse.